Hello, everybody, and welcome to the May 21st, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, you might remember yesterday I talked about my successful cancellation of Blair White. Turns out her Twitter account is back, and it wasn't suspended, it was deactivated by her. I just wanted to do a stupid bit on the sh to introduce my show that day, but, but I guess it just has to be ruined. Uh, for those who don't know what happened, she was getting harassed, and don't harass people, by the way. Like, really, just don't. Um, because some DMs came out from Instagram of her apparently using a racial slur, she insists they're fake. The post-millennial, which she writes for, insists it's fake. The only people who insist it's real are the people who leaked them in the first place. I guess. That's just what I got from watching, like, three minutes of Tipster News' video on it released today. And for that matter... Just Googling Blair White Twitter. Like, that's it. That's all the research I've done, because I really don't care all that much. I'm sorry, I just don't like Blair White as a content creator. She's not a bad person or anything, but her content is just so repetitive, in my opinion. Like, half of it, for the past three years, has been calling out Onision. And at this point, who doesn't realize... That Onision is kind of scummy. I think even fans of his, the people who have subscribed to him, just watch it to see what his next behavior is, not because they actually like the content. I don't know, maybe it's a handful, but no, even then, I think most of his Patreon donors, does he even still have the Patreon? He might not even still have the Patreon, but the majority of people who, like, donate to him, I always assume just wanted to watch a guy jump around the monkey cage. And the rest of them are just stereotypical. Here's someone being kind of weird who also identifies as trans whatever. Like, she made a video on that whole trans ageism thing. You remember that girl who, or not that girl, that like 56-year-old man who said he was a 6-year-old girl and now lives with some parents, or now adopted parents. Which was a story in, like, what, 2015, 2016? She made a video on it in 2019 and asked, Why is nobody talking about this? We all did talk about it. About three years ago, and you're late to the party. I'm sorry, I really don't like Blair White's content. I really don't. It's just so repetitive. And she's also this kind of brand of YouTubers. I've talked about it before. But there's just this whole genre on YouTube. Like, either make response videos or story videos, okay? Everything they said is dragged out beyond belief. And the titles are usually, this is stupid, with a react face and a thumbnail that says, that bad idea. And her, and, well, her and last time I checked Hunter Avalon's channel, are, like, the two biggest hubs of that. I don't know if Avalon still does it. I haven't checked his channel in, like, six months. And Strange Aeon also does that a lot. Those are, like, the big people I know of who do those kind of videos. And there's just something about seeing those kind of videos that immediately makes me want to unsubscribe. I don't know what it is, but just something about seeing those kind of videos. I just cannot stand it. I just can't. I don't know. There are a lot of YouTubers who I just cannot bring myself to watch 
because I cannot stand like the thumbnails they make or the title of their videos. A uh, filthy heretic is another example of this. He's a smaller libertarian YouTuber. He runs back alley philosophy with esoteric entity. And he's a really smart guy, don't get me wrong, but I just cannot stand looking at his thumbnails. And I cannot bring myself to click on his videos as a result. I mean, seriously. And I don't know what it is about them, but it's just something about them consistently keeps me from wanting to watch his content. It just bothers me to know it. Um, but... I guess I should probably get into the real news now. That's what you all came here for. Okay, here's some of the news you came for. This is from Crew, and I can't get the full title on my phone. There we go. Trump just removed the IG investigating Elon Chow, um, who, if you don't know, is not only the transportation secretary, but also the wife of Senate Majority Leader McConnell. Uh, so that should be noted. This came out a few days ago. Um, this is actually a story from last week, but I hadn't seen it yet. In another assault on checks and balances, President Trump abruptly removed the Department of Transportation independent watchdog late Friday, the same night he announced plans to fire the State Department Inspector General. At DOT, the acting IG was overseeing a high-profile investigation of Secretary Chow's alleged favoritism, benefiting her husband Senator McConnell's political prospects, but has now been replaced with a political appointee from within the agency. The acting AG's ouster calls into question the future of Chow McConnell's investigation, the other critical oversight, and whether the watchdog was dismissed for unearthing damaging information. So this is, this is just another example of something we've been talking about for a long time now. That, of course, being that this administration does not want accountability. This administration does not want opposition. This administration does not want watchdogs. This administration wants to be able to rule unanimously like a dictator and do whatever it wants, no accountability to anyone. They only want backroom deals. It's funny the Trump supporters keep talking about the deep state, and that's the whole thing behind the QAnon conspiracy. But this is exactly how a deep state operates, with only hidden deals within the shadows, with no accountability, no oversight, no investigation, no transparency, no anything, just the people in the room knowing what's going on, and of course, well-connected political interests get to rule the show. Hence why. McConnell's wife is Secretary of Transportation in the first place. Now, Ilana Chow, in general, has been kind of in every Republican administration in one form or another since Ronald Reagan. Okay, at least I think it was Reagan. It made it, no, yeah, it was Reagan. She had a low-profile job in the Reagan administration, in the Bush Senior administration. She was Secretary of Labor under Bush Jr. And now she's Transportation Secretary. So, what we have here is a well-connected interest within the Republican Party getting bonus points for being nice to Donald. You remember uh, the whole never-Trump Republican things? You think McConnell's going to tolerate that if his wife's in the administration? No, and he probably wasn't going to tolerate it to begin with. 
He even said that whoever got the nomination, he endorsed after Rand Paul dropped out, Rand Paul being his first choice, and that's only because they're senators from the same state. And so what we're seeing here is an administration that is basically demanding that only cronies get paid. That's what this is. It's only cronies who are getting any sort of um, positive feedback within this administration. But okay, here's some more. The move is the latest slaughter of Trump's assault on oversight, and it looks like the president made sure to cover all his bases to block accountability, not only nominating an IG to succeed the experienced watchdog who held the post, but also demoting the acting IG who was investigating Chow and installing a political appointee in serve, in to serve in his place while the Senate considers a permanent replacement. To make matters worse, Trump picked uh, to be the new acting AG, Howard Elliott, already has a job overseeing the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, an office he will now also be in charge of policing. Um, I want to say, I saw the word Elliot, and part of me was worried it was Elliot Abrams. <laughs> I mean, this is just ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. They might as well just make the official name of the post now, um, person in charge of not investigating Elon Chow. That's what it is. I mean, that that's really what it is. The administration does not want anyone to investigate into its corrupt actions. And, you know, I remember McConnell saying, and Republicans in general saying, during the war on terror, that if we have nothing to hide, we have nothing to fear. So what do you have to fear? What do you have to hide? What does the McConnell family have to hide? Serious question. And if they don't have anything to hide, why won't they allow investigation? A one-hundredth as intrusive to what the Republicans wanted back when Bush was president. And, uh, yeah, some of you are saying, oh, well, that was a long time ago. No, no, McConnell was a grown man. I think he was in his 40s at the time, maybe even his 50s. And he was still in charge, not directly in charge, mind you, but one of the top guys within the Republican Party at the time. I think he was majority whip at the time. Um, in fact, Bush even nearly nominated McConnell as a judge. Seriously. And so now what we are seeing is well-connected individuals getting their payday because this administration is all about serving its cronies. There's no way around it. That is what the Trump administration is. It is an administration dedicated to serving as many cronies as possible. The more cronies serve, the better of a job they think they're doing. Anyway, let's do a little campaign update, why don't we? So here's a tweet from Donald Trump. Uh, this came out just last night. China is on a massive disinformation campaign because they are desperate to have Sleepy Joe Biden. S Sleepy Joe Biden? Really? It's not even a good one. Win the presidential race so they can continue to rip off the United States, as they have done for decades, until I came along. Uh, for the record... Xi Jinping, and I keep pointing this out, but Xi Jinping, the president of China, has directly said he supports Donald Trump being president, as has Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, uh, who else, who else?
What other dictators love this man? And this is really the ultimate irony, because in 2016, one of the main arguments Hillary Clinton had against Donald Trump was that Trump was a Russian candidate, and that he was going to improve relations with the, with the Kremlin, and that's evil. Meanwhile, what's this administration doing with China? Their entire argument is, well, this administration will improve relations with China. The fact is, the vast majority of Americans are not some kind of hardcore, tough America, foreign interventionist crowd. A lot of them are not interventionists, in fact. And most of them will only support actual warfare when a candidate is being pushed forward, when propaganda is being pushed forward 24-7, like it was during Iraq. However, this is another big however, this administration is just on every front doing the exact same tactics. There's no way around that. And they didn't work with Hillary Clinton. I don't know why this administration would think it would work now. Seriously. The vast majority of Americans didn't even support the trade war. Which, by the way, was costing 15 jobs for every one job it created. Steel producers. Or sorry, was it producers? No, it was makers. Yeah, producers mean the same thing. But we're suing the Department of Commerce. Because of how high these tariffs were, as were several small businesses. Reason has done some great reporting on this. So this administration wants to run forward with a hawkish attitude, when I thought, for that matter, one of the reasons this administration was elected in the first place, according to the America First types, was as a backlash against neoconservatism and foreign interventionism. Now we have an administration that is pushing for, more or less, a complete war with China. That is actually what Lou Dobbs has encouraged on Fox Business. So, wait, Americans voted for Donald Trump so we would end these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and all over the world so we could then declare war on China. What sense does that make? And the vast majority of Americans, for the record, still do support free trade. Despite the include, they even support NAFTA, despite a constant smear campaign pushed against it by people like Tom Hawken and Bernie Sanders and Pat Buchanan and Ralph Nader and now Donald Trump. They still support NAFTA, but you're going to make them all become against free trade? That's what Sohar Harami was predicting. And the evidence just has not pulled this forward. The majority of Americans want a return to normal right now, if anything. Hence why, if Biden runs on that platform, he will win. He will. I have no doubt about that. If he runs on a Warren Harding-esque platform, he will actually be the president. Seriously. Maybe not for very long, I mean, just like Warren Harding. However, he will win the election. I'm being dead serious right now. Because the majority of Americans do not want a trade war, they do not want wars in general. They support free trade because they like the fact that their money goes farther. And for that matter, all these people who are materially well-off will insult that as materialism. 
and salt that is greed when they are sitting on seven-figure salaries at the New York Post. Oh, did I say that out loud? I think I said that out loud. Uh, <laughs> but that is how most Americans think. In their mind, the worst sin about the government is that it lowered, is that it decreases what's in their wallet. And the fact is, 2020 is an election, not necessarily between Republicans and Democrats, it's a referendum. It's a referendum on people who want you to believe in this death cult called nationalism. And if Biden is smart, he'll run against that at every chance he gets, and it will help him win the election. That will result in his presidency, I have no doubt about that. Anyway, uh, here's what Biden shouldn't do uh, in his campaign. This is from The Hill. Biden asks Klobuchar to undergo vetting as potential running mate. Now, Klobuchar's popularity, and I have no doubt about this, was entirely astroturfed. Seriously, seriously. The first time I had ever heard of her, and anyone had really ever heard of her, was when someone from 538 said that she would be the best pick in 2020. Being dead serious right now, that was the first time the vast majority of people, including other political commentators, had first really thought about Klobuchar. Then about a month or two later, she announced she was running for president. I genuinely didn't think that would happen, but no, that was because her popularity was astroturfed by 538 and by a lot of people within the Democratic Party. Now, Biden keeps saying he wants a woman to be his running mate, okay? And if he has to go with that, I have said that I don't think Stacey Abrams would be a particularly bad choice. I don't know if it would be a good one, but it wouldn't be a particularly bad one. I'll say that much. Um... Although I still think the best candidate should be Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. That is honestly who I think the most logical choice would be for Biden to pick. But okay. Okay. What does Klobuchar offer? Because the thing is, Biden needs to pick someone who best fits the demographics he struggles with. Does he struggle with voters in Minnesota, Klobuchar's home state? No, no, he, he does not. Donald Trump thinks he's going to win Minnesota? That's nonsense. Minnesota has voted Democrat consecutively since 1976, I believe. Yeah, 76. Maybe eight. No, yeah, it was 76. Every Democrat since Carter, including they were the only state in 1984 to vote for Walter Mondale. And some will say, oh, that's because he's from there. There are still candidates that lose their home states. Romney lost his home state. Uh, Gore lost his home state. If we're counting uh, major party candidates, Perot lost his home state. He wasn't really a major candidate, but could have still won. Those are just off the top of my head. Typically, um, 
candidates are not from swing states. Hell, Donald Trump lost his home state. Mind you, it was also Hillary Clinton's home state of New York. However, that is still his home state. He is still really well known there. So, what does Klobuchar offer ideologically? Because maybe that's the goal. Well, Klobuchar is a moderate Democrat. Seriously, she constantly talks about how she was friends with John McCain, and her voting record is down the center. As was Joe Biden. Now, don't get me wrong, Klobuchar is more liberal than Joe Biden. However, that's also in part because Biden has been in politics for way longer. Klobuchar first entered her Senate seat in 2006. Biden, at that point, had been in the Senate since 72. Okay? So, right there, it's obvious why someone like Klobuchar would be more liberal compared to Biden. Because she entered in a more liberal era, especially since she entered in 06, when that was when liberals were winning House and Senate elections nonstop. Seriously, that was part of the huge backlash against George W. Bush. However, is Klobuchar far enough to the left to where she could realistically pick up some of the votes from progressives who are disenfranchised that Biden would be losing? I'd say no. I would bluntly say no. Now, Klobuchar is... Okay, it's still... Yeah, occasionally when my screen, like, goes black, it, the recording stops. I have to make sure that's not the case. Uh, but Klobuchar it would probably appeal to a couple of them, don't get me wrong. However, however, I doubt they would be enough to really make a difference. Klobuchar simply is not far left enough. She is completely moderate. On the campaign, she was completely in the middle. She was the... I don't really want to say more right-wing, because none of these people are right-wing in any reasonable sense. But she had the same problem as Elizabeth Warren had. Anyone to her left went for Sanders. Anyone to her right went for Biden. And it was like Warren was just the left version of that, Klobuchar was the slightly less far-left version of that. They were both completely in the middle, policy-wise, compared to who they were being grouped in with. So as such, if Biden wants to pick a woman from a state that continuously votes Democrat, if he must insist on doing so, Pick Elizabeth Warren. Seriously, pick Elizabeth Warren. That would make a lot of sense. Warren has progressive name recognition. Warren is liked by a large enough portion of progressives to actually get progressives who wouldn't vote for Biden out to vote. If you're voting for Warren, but that's still a vote for Biden. If Joe Biden truly insists on voting, on having his running mate be a woman from a state that he's going to win anyway, which is a stupid idea, 
like a really stupid idea. Your running mate should be from a state that you are, that's an intense battleground one. Okay, that's what Hillary Clinton did when she picked Tim Kaine from Virginia. That's what Trump did when he picked Mike Pence from Indiana. You want someone who your voters in that battleground state already know and trust. But that's why home state advantages exist in the first place. But okay, okay. If Biden truly insists with every fiber of his being, that he must pick a woman from a state he's going to win anyway, which is a stupid as hell idea, then Warren would be a way smarter choice than Amy Klobuchar. I'm sorry, she just would. Warren is liked with the groups he struggles with, most notably progressive young people. Warren was their second, right next to Sanders. In fact, a lot of them wanted Warren to be Sanders' running mate if he got the nomination. So, what we are seeing here is Biden just not knowing who he struggles with. And if he doesn't realize that, he can't win. He objectively can't win. He might even actively campaign in the wrong state, which he's gotten states confused before, so who knows. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, just... Don't pick Klobuchar. What advantage does it give you? Moderate Democrats are voting for you anyway. Um, Conservative-esque people who don't like Trump are voting for you anyway. Minnesota is voting for you anyway. Pick anyone else. Seriously. Anyone else, it would be a better choice. Again, Warren, Abrams, or Brown. Those are the three best choices in my mind. And if you insist it has to be a minority and it can't be Abrams, pick Nina Turner. That would get the Bernie bros out, at least. Klobuchar wouldn't get anyone out. I'm sorry, she just wouldn't. Anyway, uh, here's what Biden shouldn't do uh, in his campaign. This is from The Hill. Biden asked Klobuchar to undergo vetting as potential running mate. Now, Klobuchar's popularity, and I have no doubt about this, was entirely astroturfed. Seriously, seriously. The first time I had ever heard of her, and anyone had really ever heard of her, was when someone from 538 said that she would be the best pick in 2020. Being dead serious right now, that was the first time the vast majority of people, including other political commentators, had first really thought about Klobuchar. Then about a month or two later, she announced she was running for president. I genuinely didn't think that would happen, but no, that was because her popularity was astroturfed by 538 and by a lot of people within the Democratic Party. Now, Biden keeps saying he wants a woman to be his running mate, okay? And if he has to go with that, I have said that I don't think Stacey Abrams would be a particularly bad choice. I don't know if it would be a good one, but it wouldn't be a particularly bad one. I'll say that much. Um, although I still think the best candidate should be Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. That is honestly who I think the most logical choice would be for Biden the pick.
But okay. Okay. What does Klobuchar offer? Because the thing is, Biden needs to pick someone who best fits the demographics he struggles with. Does he struggle with voters in Minnesota, Klobuchar's home state? No. No, he, he does not. Donald Trump thinks he's going to win Minnesota? That's nonsense. Minnesota has voted Democrat consecutively since 1976, I believe. Yeah, 76. Maybe eight. No, yeah, it was 76. Every Democrat since Carter, including they were the only state in 1984 to vote for Walter Mondale. And some will say, oh, that's because he's from there. There are still candidates that lose their home states. Romney lost his home state. Uh, Gore lost his home state. If we're counting uh, major party candidates, Perot lost his home state. He wasn't really a major candidate, but could have still won. Those are just off the top of my head. Typically, um, candidates are not from swing states. Hell, Donald Trump lost his home state. Mind you, it was also Hillary Clinton's home state of New York. However, that is still his home state. He is still really well known there. So, what does Klobuchar offer ideologically? Because maybe that's the goal. Well, Klobuchar is a moderate Democrat. Seriously, she constantly talks about how she was friends with John McCain, and her voting record is down the center. As was Joe Biden. Now, don't get me wrong, Klobuchar is more liberal than Joe Biden. However, that's also in part because Biden has been in politics for way longer. Klobuchar first entered her Senate seat in 2006. Biden, at that point, had been in the Senate since 72. Okay? So, right there, it's obvious why someone like Klobuchar would be more liberal compared to Biden. Because she entered in a more liberal era, especially since she entered in 06, when that was when liberals were winning House and Senate elections nonstop. Seriously, that was part of the huge backlash against George W. Bush. However, is Klobuchar far enough to the left to where she could realistically pick up some of the votes from progressives who are disenfranchised that Biden would be losing? I'd say no. I would bluntly say no. Now, Klobuchar is... Okay, it's still... Yeah, occasionally when my screen, like, goes black, it, the recording stops. I have to make sure that's not the case. Uh, but Klobuchar would probably appeal to a couple of them, don't get me wrong. However, however, I doubt they would be enough to really make a difference. Klobuchar simply is not far left enough. She is completely moderate. On the campaign, she was completely in the middle. She was the... I don't really want to say more right-wing, because none of these people are right-wing in any reasonable sense. But she had the same problem as Elizabeth Warren had. 
Anyone to her left went for Sanders. Anyone to her right went for Biden. And it was like Warren was just the left version of that. Klobuchar was the slightly less far left version of that. They were both completely in the middle policy-wise compared to who they were being grouped in with. So as such, if Biden wants to pick a woman from a state that continuously votes Democrat, if he must insist on doing so, pick Elizabeth Warren. Seriously, pick Elizabeth Warren. That would make a lot of sense. Warren has progressive name recognition. Warren is liked by a large enough portion of progressives to actually get progressives who wouldn't vote for Biden out to vote. If you're voting for Warren, but that's still a vote for Biden. If Joe Biden truly insists on voting, on having his running mate be a woman from a state that he's going to win anyway, which is a stupid idea, like a really stupid idea, your running mate should be from a state that you are, that's an intense battleground one. Okay, that's what Hillary Clinton did when she picked Tim Kaine from Virginia. That's what Trump did when he picked Mike Pence from Indiana. You want someone who your voters in that battleground state already know and trust. But that's why home state advantages exist in the first place. But okay, okay. If Biden truly insists with every fiber of his being that he must pick a woman from a state he's going to win anyway, which is a stupid as hell idea, then Warren would be a way smarter choice than Amy Klobuchar. I'm sorry, she just would. Warren is liked with the groups he struggles with, most notably progressive young people. Warren was their second, right next to Sanders. In fact, a lot of them wanted Warren to be Sanders' running mate if he got the nomination. So, what we are seeing here is Biden just not knowing who he struggles with, and if he doesn't realize that, he can't win. He objectively can't win. He might even actively campaign in the wrong state, which he's gotten states confused before, so who knows. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, just don't pick Klobuchar. What advantage does it give you? Moderate Democrats are voting for you anyway. Um, Conservative-esque people who don't like Trump are voting for you anyway. Minnesota is voting for you anyway. Pick anyone else. Seriously. Anyone else, it would be a better choice. Again, Warren, Abrams, or Brown. Those are the three best choices in my mind. And if you insist it has to be a minority and it can't be Abrams, pick Nina Turner. That would get the Bernie bros out, at least. Klobuchar wouldn't get anyone out. I'm sorry, she just wouldn't. Anyway, this will probably be the last thing for tonight. In fact, I almost certainly will. Trying to make these episodes around 40 minutes long, and I think this will be enough. 
Uh, Devin Nunes was on Fox News talking about the Eric Garcia victory and a few other things. And this slip, it's a 20-second clip. It's absolutely amazing. But now, even though we don't like it, we don't want to, but we are forced to have to ballot harvest because it's the only way to win. So as long as we have a robust ballot harvesting operation come November, and I hate saying that because it's illegal in 49 states, uh, I think Mark, Mark, Mike Garcia is in a good shape to hold on to that seat because it's traditionally a Republican seat. All right. What an election. I like the little slip there. I hate using that phrase because it's illegal in 49 states. Then why are you using it? Oh, because that's exactly what you're doing. Uh, Eric Garcia, for those who don't remember, he was the guy who won California's 25th district. I think back. I'm going to make sure real quick. Give me a, no, that's the Los Angeles mayor. I who it is Nunez is talking about doesn't matter because what we're seeing it doesn't matter the context is Republican officials admitting to tampering with elections. They've been doing that for years. Uh, Nixon famously called the strategy rat fucking, or at least somebody in his campaign did. I forget the exact details of that. But no, there have been examples for years of Republicans redrawing districts, hence why in 2012 House Democrats won the popular vote where Republicans got more seats. Or just using various methods to rig elections. And now this ballot harvesting phenomenon, which is only illegal in the state of California, by the way, where Devin Nunes is from. And Nunes, for those who don't know, is one of the big guys in the Republican Party. I think he's the House Minority Whip, if I'm not mistaken. No, wait, I don't think it's him. I'm going to actually check what Nunes' exact role is. Uh, probably if he was chair of a House Intelligence Committee for a while. Oh, yeah, he's a ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. Okay. Okay. But, you know, it's this kind of irony, too. Because Nunes was the one, he first really got popular for releasing that four-page memo saying the FBI was engaging in a conspiracy against Donald Trump. Well, okay, Nunes, what, what is this, then? What is this, then? What are you admitting to right now, if not a conspiracy to keep Trump in office and to keep Republicans in office? Hence why they are openly admitting to ballot harvesting now. You heard him. You heard him admit to ballot harvesting. What ballot harvesting is, for those who don't know, it's only legal in the state of California. We talked about this yesterday. It's a process where a third-party group can go to, say, a nursing home um, and have them all vote there and return those votes to a third-party polling place. Or to a or just a normal polling place, I guess. Uh, however, and this is the big however, what is stopping somebody, those third-party ballot harvesters, from removing or changing ballots? Guilty conscience? I doubt it. Hence why. They have admitted to doing that. There have been graces that just suddenly changed after all the ballots were harvested. 
I mean, that's really what we're seeing right now. And it's this Republican war. We've been talking about this yesterday on your ability to vote. Remember in 2017 where North Carolina voter ID laws were struck down because they had targeted African-Americans with surgical precision? Remember that? And you probably already know about this, no matter what your political bent is, because Republicans will typically admit to it. Mitch McConnell has said voting is a privilege, as has Donald Trump. It's not. It's a right guaranteed to us by the fact that we live in a representative democracy. Well, technically it's paid. It's guaranteed to all taxpaying citizens of above a legal age set by the government. You know, there are a lot of restrictions on it already, and a number of them are kind of stupid. I mean, seriously. And then there are things like felon disenfranchisement, which don't even make any sense. So somebody goes to jail, or they're a felon, they go to a prison. We have determined that they are rehabilitated. That's why they're allowed in society now, but they aren't allowed to vote. That's nonsensical. I'm sorry, that's just nonsensical. There's gerrymandered districts that are drawn by politicians, and primarily, the source for this is incumbent political interests like Evan Nunes. And now, like Donald Trump, and people are still pretending Trump is fighting the establishment. He's been in there for four years, for three and a half years at least. He is the establishment at this point. I'm sorry, there's no way around it. He is the establishment. And if we don't watch our backs, the entire end of Western liberal representative democracies is around the corner. I'm Ephraim, and good night. If you like this episode, you'll probably like my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist, available at my bio. You can also buy it on Amazon, obviously. Um, my Twitter is at EphraimJoeScene1, and my email is PeacefulGlobalistReview at gmail.com. That's PeacefulGlobalistReview at gmail.com. It's just the name of the show at gmail.com.